to the High Praises Church podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. Now here's lead pastor, Chris Starr. I want to preach. I want you to get your Bibles and I want you to open them this morning to the book of uh, 2 Kings. I'm sorry, 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 18. I know the scriptures are on the screen, but I still like you to bring your Bible, and I still like you to have your Bible. I've threatened for years that I was going to preach a heretical message, heresy, one Sunday, just to see if anybody figured it out. That'd be terrible, wouldn't it? But I want to I want to preach today, and uh, I try to I try to prepare you. The worst thing in the world is to preach, and the congregation doesn't know what what you're doing or where you're going. So I've already told Pastor Billy, I've got a camp meeting revival style message called repair the altar and I told Pastor Billy I said I'm going to preach like it's a revival meeting and if nobody helps me I'm just going to have fun all by myself but if you just want to get involved with this and act like a bunch of Pentecostals then go ahead and help me out and if it blesses you just let the Lord know come on somebody shout glory amen so we're going to talk about a subject that we really need more than ever before. How many know we need the altar? We need to be in the altar. We need a prayer life. And so that's what I want to read. I want to read 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 30 through 32, and then I want to skip to verses 38 and 39, and then we'll talk about the story in just a minute. It reads like this. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And so all the people came near to him. And notice this. It's the key verse. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord had come saying, Israel shall be your name. And then with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And we're going to skip to verse 38. And then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood, and the stones, and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. And now when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Can the church just say with me this morning, the Lord, he is God. Amen. You can be seated. I love the altar. The altar has been significant in my life. My earliest memory of going to the altar is when I was five years old. My dad had brought in some ministers to conduct a kid's crusade. And I remember significantly, specifically rather, on on an evening at the kid's crusade that the Holy Spirit dealt with me. I was only five but I knew that I had heard the gospel and I needed to respond and hot tears started streaming down my cheeks and my wise, godly, discerning mother looked at me and realized what was happening and said, son, do you want to go to the altar? It's always good, mama, when you can lead your kids to the altar. And my mama said, do you want to go to the altar? And I said, yes. And My mother took me down to the altar, and it was there at five years of age that I prayed, and I asked Jesus to forgive me of my sins and come into my heart. 
And that was the day when I entered into a relationship with the Lord that has now lasted for literally 50 years. The altar has played an important role in my life. I, I remember when I was around 10, 11, 12 years of age that I heard about the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And every time, Dad would give an altar call, and then we moved, and we'd go to a church or wherever it was. Every time there was an altar call, I would go to the altar, and I would pray, God, fill me with the Holy Ghost. I want to be baptized with the Holy Ghost. I'm not afraid to speak in tongues. I want the power of God. And, and, and I couldn't even remember. And I had to ask my parents not too long ago. My mom said, oh, yes, and I can tell you. She said it was in another kid's crusade. She said it was a kid's crusade, and they had preached on the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And she said, you went to the altar again. And she said, God baptized you with the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. I remember, I have memories, and I know it seems like I'm going back, but I'm just trying to tell you how important it's been my whole life. I remember that I would go to Church of God youth camp. That was a big part of my life because my dad was a state youth director. He oversaw the youth camps. And I went to youth camp as a camper, and I worked at youth camp, and I was a counselor in youth camp. And later, when I became a pastor, they voted me on the state youth board, and I helped run the youth camps. I've done just about everything in youth camp you can do. I love youth camp. And I remember so many times going to youth camp and we would play and have all these activities in the day, but at night we would have these services. They'd bring in an evangelist and we would, we would hear that evangelist preach at our, at our level and then he would give an altar call. And I, I have these great memories of going to the altar, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 years old, going to the altar and there was nowhere to go. There was nothing on the schedule. And we would get in the altar, scores of us, and we would cry out to God and tears would run down our face and we would pray and seek the Lord. And I remember time and again feeling and experiencing the power of God and the touch of God on my life. I remember one time we were in, a, in Michigan. Dad was state youth director and a group from Lee University had come to sing and, and uh, they sang a song. Some of y'all wouldn't know it, but the, the Imperials sang it, praise the Lord. He can work through those who praise him. Praise the Lord for our God and have his praise. And the more they sang it, the Holy Ghost came down and I remember this is great I love this that students uh, we I was probably like 12 at the time but I remember all over that church that that tabernacle on that campground that nobody had to give an altar invitation that we just got up out of our seats and started to the altar there was supposed to be somebody to preach that night but it didn't matter God was moving we got in the altar that's a memory I have or God just touched me that night in Michigan I, I've never forgotten I'm telling you we need the altar. You need the altar. I hope you have memories of times when you've got alone with the Lord. There have been times I've come up to this church and nobody's been here and I've walked these aisles and walked in this altar area and felt the presence of God. We need the altar. The altar is important. I hope the altar is important in your life. I know when I look in the Bible that I know the altar played a significant role in the lives of godly men and women, especially in the Old Testament. I went back and I kind of reviewed and I saw where Noah built an altar and Abraham built an altar. Isaac built an altar to the Lord and Jacob built an altar to the Lord. And then you get into the, the time period where they built the tabernacle and Moses, you know, and, and they set up this Levitical sacrificial, sacrificial system. And if you would go into the temple, they had preaching, they had teaching, they had singers and musicians, especially under when David was king, and, and they had 
times where you give the tithes and the offerings sounds a lot like our church, doesn't it, today? And there were all kinds of activities. But if you would look and notice, you would see quickly that the teaching and the preaching and the giving of the tithes and, and the singing and the music, that, that wasn't the main focus of the tabernacle. It was the altar because it was at the altar that people would bring their sacrifices and they would offer to the Lord. That's where you would deal with your sin. It was at the altar where you would worship. It was at the altar where you would rededicate yourself to God. It's important. It's always been important. I went back and like we preachers do, and I, I said, let me just look up the word in the Hebrew. What is it? What is an altar? I mean, I think I know what an altar is, but, but what is an altar? And it's not very difficult to figure out. It's simple. Every time you look at an altar, it's simply the place where man meets with God and God meets with man. And it's still that way today when you, when you turn wherever you are into an altar. That's where God meets with you and you meet with God. The Hebrew word, it's a, it's a, it's a crazy word. It's pronounced mizbiach. And, and so that really doesn't mean anything to us, but the root word for that word does. It's zabak. And it means to sacrifice or to slay. And in the Old Testament times, even into the New Testament, when, when Jesus came to this earth in the temple, you would take an animal, a bull, a lamb, a goat, and you would put it on the altar. And this is so gruesome. And, and, and I know it would be hard for a lot of us. A lot of you like to humanize animals, but you, you couldn't have done this back then. You would take that lamb, that bleeding, bleating lamb, and you would have to take a knife and you'd have to kill it and drain the blood of it out of it and skin it. And then you would put it on the, on the wood and they'd light a fire and they would burn it. And see, that lamb would give its life and it would die. Its flesh would burn on the altar. The reason I tell you that, brothers and sisters, my friends, is because I've been talking about a lot of things, but now I'm going to teach to you and preach to you. You're going to learn that part of the altar experience is dealing with your flesh. If you're going to spend time with God, you have to kill your flesh. Not literally, of course, but spiritually. You have to crucify your flesh. It, it has to die. The flesh must die if you're going to operate in the spirit and receive things from God. It makes me think of the story in Mark 14 where Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's turned it into an altar area. And he's praying and his blood is, as it were, great his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood, and, and he's under this intense pressure because he knows tomorrow he's going to die on a cross, and he's got the disciples, and he takes nine of them, and he leaves them, and he goes, takes Peter, James, and John with him, and he goes a little further, and he says, I'm going to go over here and pray and turn that into an altar area, and he expected them to pray with him, and he turns around, and instead of praying with him, they're asleep, and he chastises them, and this is what he says, could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. And then there is a strong principle here that we need to get a hold of. He said, the spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. And what he said was, I need you to pray, but you're giving into your flesh. Instead of denying your flesh, 
and going after the spiritual things, you're catering to your flesh. And so just hear me today, and you already know this from your life's experience. Your flesh doesn't like the altar. Your flesh resists the altar. Your flesh fights against the altar. Your flesh cares nothing for the altar, but your spirit gravitates to the altar. Your spirit longs for the altar. Your spirit values the altar. So let me just say this today. You have to resist your flesh and cater to your spirit if you're going to spend time with the Lord. Your spirit will say, let's go pray. Your flesh will say, let's put it off till later. And so you have to win the battle between the flesh and the spirit every time you go to the altar. That takes me to the story that I read for a text. When Elijah was the prophet of Israel, the altars in Israel had fallen into disrepair and were no longer being used. Israel had fallen away from God. If they were doing anything, they were just going through the motions. They had fallen in love with a false god named Baal. And they were worshiping. They would go to the altars and offer sacrifices to Baal. But they were no longer talking to God. God raises up Elijah, this mighty prophet, to lead Israel back to him, to God. And so Elijah serves as a prophet, prophesies, does these miracles, and finally one day, it's a tipping point. God moves on Elijah, and he goes, and he issues a challenge. He says to all the preachers, you prophets of Baal, you ministers of the Baal religion, meet me at Mount Carmel, and we're going to have a showdown. And here's what we're going to do. You build an altar. I'm going to build an altar, put the sacrifice on it, but we're not going to light a fire. We're going to pray to our God. And the God who answers by fire will be the God of Israel. It's time to get this thing settled. And it's interesting when he said that, that the people of Israel said nothing. That's how bad they were spiritually. He didn't even get an amen. Man, when you're a Pentecostal preacher, you could use an amen every once in a while. There you go. And so they met at Mount Carmel. And the prophets of Baal, he said, you go first. So they prayed and they screamed and they danced and they jumped around. 400 preachers going at it at one time. They're all false preachers. And they cut themselves trying to get their God's attention by bleeding. But nothing happened. You know why? Because there is no Baal God. It's a man-made false deity. And it was about the time, this is so important, it was the time of prayer, the Bible says. Let me tell you something. You need to have a prayer time daily. Don't wing it. Have a set time. Sure, it might get interrupted every once in a while, but have a set, if you don't have one, Start one today. It was a time of prayer. And, and Elijah said, okay, enough of you guys. The nation of Israel, come to me. I don't know if there were hundreds, maybe thousands of people 
that had converged on that Mount Carmel. And they came to him, and Elijah walks over, and he picked that spot because there was an altar, but the altar was broken. It was in disarray. And here's the reason God had been ignored. And when you ignore God, you will forsake the altar. Some of you may get under conviction while I'm preaching today. I might have you shouting before it's over, but some of you may be under conviction right now because you have ignored God and you have forsaken the altar. Your prayer life will fall into disarray when you forsake the altar. God will never hear from you. There will be no communication and fellowship between you and the Lord when you ignore God and forsake the altar. There is a quote that I love to use. I've used it before preaching. It was, there's a man named Edwin Lewis Cole. He wrote an awesome book called Maximize Manhood that I require every male staff member who comes to work for me, they have to read that book. Edwin Lewis Cole died just a few years ago. He's in heaven with the Lord. He was part of the men's movement back in the 80s. Edwin Lewis Cole has a statement that goes like this. He said, Abraham pitched his tent and built his altars. But he said, the problem we have today is that too many men are pitching their altars because they're so busy building their tents. And it could be this morning that you came here today and you need to hear that word is that God wants you to, like Father Abraham, pitch your tents, but also build your altar. You cannot, you cannot spend life building your kingdom, building your career, building up your financial portfolio, buying property, buying land, making investments, getting an education, spending. You know, sometimes your, your, your tent is your marriage or your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your kids. Your whole life revolves around your kids. That's all you do all the time at the neglect of God. We cannot get to the point where we're pitching our tents, but we're no longer building our altars or we're building building our altars and pitching the tents. But God help us that while we live this life and do all the things that we get to do, that we always make time for God. Elijah was God's man to lead Israel in a spiritual revival. And he knew that revival starts with the altar. He didn't call an evangelist. He didn't set up a series of meetings at the church. He didn't check with a church consultant and say, how's the best way I can get Israel back to serving God? He didn't read a book. He didn't preach a sermon series on how to have revival. No, he repaired the altar. And if you can get people praying, that's when spiritual life and vitality and spiritual revival begin to happen in your life and even in the church, and even in the nation. You see, Elijah could repair that altar because he was a man of the altar. Elijah was a praying man. That's one of the things I love about Elijah. I love reading all the stories about what he did as a prophet. But one of the things that, that grabs me is that he was a praying man. He was in touch with God. And there is a scripture in James 5.17 that I want to read to you, and I want you to listen to it. It's a very simple scripture. It says, it goes, reads like this. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed. Elijah, he was a prophet. No, he, he was. But he was a man just like us. Read the story of the life of Elijah. He pouted. 
He ran in terror from Jezebel. He struggled with depression. He, he quit the ministry. He struggled with failure. Would you have a pastor like that? Well, most churches do because we're human and we have this treasure in jars of clay. But the one thing he never stopped doing through depression and fear and failure is he never stopped praying. And that's what gets you through. And the longer you serve the Lord and the older you get, let me just let you in on a secret. Praying becomes more important than ever before. The older your kids get and they get out of your control, you'll pray more than you ever did for them. The closer people are getting and they're getting older and they're not serving the Lord, the harder you'll pray for God to save them and convict them. Are you with me? You know, you might say, well, Pastor Elijah prayed because he was a preacher and that's what you preachers are supposed to do. Elijah was a prophet. He prayed because he was a prophet and a mighty man of God, right? No, you got it backwards. He was a prophet and a mighty man of God because he prayed. I don't have the anointing that I crave every time I get up here. Sometimes I am trembling and I'm, I am fighting anxiety to step up here and preach to you and I got a camera now on me people watching coast to coast and get up here I don't I don't I have to have the anointing I have to have the help of God it doesn't come because I am pastor reverend preacher it comes because I get on my knees and I'm praying and calling out to God all week and even this morning saying, God, I've been doing this for a long time and I got to do it one more time, but I need your touch. I need your help because it's not about me. I need to be a vessel that I don't get in the way that you can speak to this congregation, to your people and work and move in their lives. And that only comes through prayer. Oh, that I could be a mighty man of God like you, Pastor. Don't do that to me and don't do it to anybody else. Everybody can be a mighty man of God or a mighty woman of God. All you need to do is just build the altar. I've met people that never held a title in the church that were some of the most powerful, influential, and I'm talking about for God, people with unbelievable moral authority, Never held a title position in the church, but they had it because they were a man or a woman of unbelievable prayer. They heard from God. If you want to be a mighty man of God, a mighty woman of God, just get in a prayer closet every day and start praying. And isn't it something that it took just one man, Elijah, to get the people back to prayer. That is the power of godly influence. So I want to do some preaching right now. I want to tell you a story first. When I was dating Leah, her dad pastored a church in the Atlanta area. 
And they had this big, beautiful parsonage. That thing was unbelievable. Three levels. It was gorgeous. The, the church just had bought this beautiful. And this, so they lived in this unbelievably beautiful parsonage, beautiful neighborhood, nice neighborhood. Upstairs, all these rooms and get the master bedrooms upstairs. And they had downstairs, they had a guest, guest bedroom. And so when Leah and I would go home to see her parents, uh, I would obviously stay in the guest room. And uh, I, I have, remember this happened more than once. Jim and Rachel, they were battling hell in the church that they were pastoring. There was so much sinfulness and carnality in that church. And Rachel was having issues with asthma. It, that church, Satan tried to use the carnality and the viciousness of the people in that church to almost kill her. And she would labor. Nobody knows the weight that pastor's wives carry. And she would labor. And I remember, I have vivid memories that I would go to their house and I'd go to bed there, and I'd wake up the next morning. I'm laying in bed trying to get awake, and I would hear Rachel upstairs in her bedroom. She's turned it into an altar area, and she is groaning, and she's moaning, and she's crying out to God in spiritual warfare at the top of her lungs, and she's speaking in tongues, and you can feel the power of the Holy Ghost. And I eventually told Leah this later. I'd lay there in bed, and I'd hear all that, and the longer I heard it, I thought, great God, I can't just lay here and do nothing. And I would fall out of the bed on the side of the bed on my knees, and I'd start praying with her and have a prayer meeting right along with her. I don't think she ever knew it, but I was down. She was upstairs praying and I was downstairs crying out to God that's the power of prayer parents listen to me your children need to hear you pray they need to hear you talking to Jesus dad it is your job on every meal to say bow your head and let's pray thank you Jesus for this food amen if you're sitting in a restaurant in the public don't you be embarrassed you say bow your head let's pray and you pray well I'm going to talk about this in a minute but we saw our good friends uh, Kevin and Renee and I'm going to talk about them in just a minute we went to Logan's Roadhouse we stood we were there for four hours and hadn't seen them in years they're our college friends and we were outside talking and Renee, she's a very spiritual woman. She said, let's pray before we go. Her daddy was there. And so the five of us, we just got in a circle right at the entrance of Logan's. People were walking into Logan's Roadhouse. And, watch, and we were out there praying. Five Pentecostals praying, just calling out to the Lord. And one guy was coming. We said, well, sorry about that. He said, oh, no, anytime's a good time to pray. He said, that's all right. Y'all don't bother me. But, uh, but, but what I'm trying to tell you is, Dad, you need to take the lead. Your kids need to hear you pray. They need to hear the sound of dad calling out to God. You need to be praying with them at night. Mom, you need to be praying with them at night. You ought to be, don't you leave it to Pastor Amy. Don't you leave it to Pastor Evan to teach your kids how to pray. It's your job. And they need to hear, my God, the greatest sound any child could hear, any memory, the greatest memory any child could have is the sound of their dad or their mother praying and crying out to God. Are you hearing this preacher this morning? It'll revolutionize your family. It could revolutionize your marriage if you'll just pray. You're your spouse needs to hear you pray. Your spouse doesn't need to wonder if you ever pray. You're, 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 if, I, if I walk up and say, does your husband ever pray? You don't need to have to look at me and say, I don't know. Woo, for those of you watching online, it got quiet in here. You don't understand the power of your influence. Every once in a while, you don't look at your spouse and say, I'm going back in the bedroom. 
What you going to do? I'm going to go pray. I'm going to shut the door and leave me alone. Yes, ma'am. I've walked in on Leah praying. I've walked, she's got out, and I've walked, I've opened the door. I said, why is this door closed? I walked in. She's in there down there getting a hold of God. I just turned around, shut that door, walk right back out. I'm going to tell you what, that's a good sight to see my wife down there getting a hold of Jesus. My boys heard dad pray. They heard their mother pray. And it, and it needs to be more than just when there's trouble. Church leaders, the people in the church need to hear you pray. If you're sitting out of here in the congregation, they need to hear you praying, calling out to the Lord. They need to be able to look over and if we're having prayer time, they need to peek out of one eye and look over there at you and see, is that deacon praying? Is that elder praying? Is that leader over there praying? Is my life group leader praying? If you're slipping out every time we're about to have an altar call and you're disappearing... You don't understand the power of godly influence. I've walked my neighborhood enough now. I kind of think people know what I'm doing. It's been four years of it now. Can't believe I've been in this house now four years. I think they kind of know. There goes that guy out there. I don't think he's mumbling. I think he's praying. I don't do it to be seen. I really keep it low-key. You know, I don't do it to be seen. But, but life group leaders, department leaders, are, are, let's, can I just talk to the church? People in the church, we need to, we need to hear each other pray. There, there's an influence. He said, well, what does that mean? Just God, just you getting a hold of God, there might be a less mature believer or a new member, or a guest that's there, you know, right beside you, in front of you, behind you. And when it's prayer time, you're just praying and talking to the Lord. You might start praying in the heavenly language, and you're talking to the Lord, and there's passion, and there's fire. You say, well, I, that's none of their business. You're right, it's none of their business, and yet it becomes their business because it is in the context of your life and their life in a worship service, and you don't understand that because you pray with passion and you're getting a hold of God, it might touch one or two or three other people who say, well, I want to be like that, and they'll start praying and talking to the Lord. All it can take is one person moving many people to pray. Elijah, that was his job. And he rebuilt the altar, 12 stones, stacked them up, created an altar, created... And he built the altar so that ultimately fire would fall. Fire would fall. That was the point. Kill the lamb, put it on the altar, and the God answers by fire. He will be God. Fire falling from heaven would be a supernatural sign that Jehovah, not Baal, was the true and the living God. And I don't know how much you know about this story. A lot of people don't know Bible stories. Let me just tell you what happens. So that he re rebuilds the altar. He puts the lamb on. Here's what he does. He goes down to a water source and gets 12 
buckets of water, and he has them bring them up, and they, they dig a trench around the altar so it'll catch the water. And he dumps, not gasoline, water on, because some of us would have dumped gasoline on it, right? Flicked a match when nobody's looking. Woo, revival. Anyway. And, and so they, water, there's water on the sacrifice, water on the rocks, water, it's, there's just water, it's covered in water. He prays a 63-word prayer. Let me just stop right there. The person who spends time with Jesus in the prayer closet a long time can pray short prayers when it comes the right time when he needs to go hold of God. In other words, you need a miracle and you need God to work. You're in a situation. You don't have to pray a long time because you're so connected. You spent so much time with the Lord. You've, and and I've, I've learned in my own life now, I don't pray as long as I used to. I'd go to the hospital. I feel like I got to pray, you know, a five-minute prayer. And I've just learned in, in the maturity of my time now, I don't pray long. I've learned you don't have to pray long. You just have to say, Lord, in the name of Jesus, touch her and heal her body. God, touch him and give him what he needs. In the name of Jesus, we pray right now. Amen. And that's all you got to do. See, because that's the kind of man Elijah was. He had spent so much time with prayer in the regular times, and when it came public time, he was ready. 63 words. And when he finished, I don't know, maybe a little Hollywood sound effects, but I could see everybody suddenly heard something like... Kind of that sound like when the space shuttle takes off. And everybody looks at except it ain't taking off. It's coming down. And they see this glow in the sky. And it's getting bigger. And it's getting bigger. And people start backing up like this. And they're backing up. And this fireball from God comes down in heaven. And it hits that altar. And it hits it with such force and with such heat that the Bible says that it consumed everything. It dried out every bit of the water. It licked up the dust. It consumed the sacrifice. It consumed the wood. It consumed the stones. There was nothing there but a big charred spot with the fire of God blazing up out of it. And I'm going to tell you this morning, I think what some of us need we need some spiritual fire to fall. Not literal fire, but spiritual fire. And I just came here today in my very weak way to just say to you, you can have that fire. I'm not talking about literal fire. I'm talking about the fire of God. You can have it if you'll just get in the altar and just ask him and say, God, let the fire of God fall on me and put some fire in me, some zeal, some passion, some life back inside of me, God. He will do it. We were with Kevin and Renee Summit, my friends I mentioned earlier. We went to Florida. Lee and I went to Florida last week, spent some time together, and came back. And they live in Savannah, so we drove halfway back, spent the night. But we, we met Kevin and Renee and her dad and one of their sons. They have four boys. And his wife, we never met Beverly. She's so sweet. And we got together. Man, you know how it is when you get with longtime friends? It's time flies. We met them there at 6.30. All of a sudden, it was 10.30. I, I had never seen time fly as fast as that night. We laughed. We told stories. We'll tell stories. We, got, we have stories we can tell. It's embarrassing about each other. We try not to tell those, you know, college stories. But we're all in ministry, and so we were talking about ministry, and we got to talking, 
And, and Kevin and I, the hairs on our arms were standing up. Kevin is a youth pastor at a church there in, in, in Savannah, Georgia. And they had a youth retreat. And I know we've got some teenagers in here. I say, I want all the teenagers, young adults to listen to this. They had a youth retreat this past weekend, week ago. And Kevin was telling me about it. And he said, we didn't have anything, you know, nothing spiritual planned. He said, it wasn't spiritual, nothing. He said, we were just getting together, kind of finished what we were doing. He said, all of a sudden, God started moving. I said, you serious? He said, God started moving. It was the craziest thing. And he said, not give you all the details, but one thing led to another. And he said, prayer broke out with a bunch of teenagers. Spontaneously, they're praying. And he said, Chris, he said, the next thing you know, he said, one person came up that needed to be baptized with the Holy Ghost. Now, this is a teenager. And he said, I laid hands on her and I prayed for her. And when I did, she started speaking in other tongues as the Spirit of God gave her the utterance and God filled her with the Holy Ghost just like he did in the book of Acts. And he said it started like a domino effect and those students all over that place started praying and crying out to God. He said, listen to that. I'm about to shout, y'all. Nobody else helped me shout. I'm gonna shout all by myself. He said before it was over, he said 17 teenagers had been baptized with the Holy Ghost and were speaking in tongues and God was filling them with his mighty power. <laughs> Hallelujah. And I looked at Kevin. I started telling him some stories. He, tears were running down his face. The hairs were standing up on my arms. And I'm just going to go ahead and say this. I want to see that happen at high praises with our teenagers. I'd like to see that happen with our young adults. I'd like to see that happen with everybody in the church where you've never been filled with the Holy Ghost. I'd like to see you full of the Holy Ghost. I don't want to be a Pentecostal church in name only. I want to be a practicing, functioning Pentecostal church where people know what happened to them what happened on the day of Pentecost happens to them. I want you to speak in tongues. I want you to know the power of the gifts of the Spirit. I want it to happen in your life. And it will if you'll just pray. Jesus said, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? You just got to build an altar and pray. You just got to make up your mind like I did when I was 10, 11, 12. I'm just going to keep going. Every time there's an altar call, I'm going to the altar. I don't care how long it takes, but I'm going to pray until God fills me with the Holy Ghost. God wants to put a fire in you, and it starts with confession. Israel was away from God. They needed to confess that they had followed the wrong God. And I think when you get an altar built, the first thing you do is you need to confess. Sometimes you need to confess your sin, confess your disobedience. Maybe you just need to confess slackness. God, I've been slack. I've neglected the altar. I'm sorry. Sometimes you need to confess your need of a personal revival. Don't just keep living and say, well, maybe it'll get better next Sunday. Well, maybe it'll get better next. Well, maybe God will touch me next Sunday. That's not how it works. When you diagnose, when you do a self-diagnosis and say there is something wrong in my spiritual life, I'm not as hungry as I once was. I'm not, as, I'm not on fire. I, I don't like it. I see other people there. I want that. That's when you build an altar and you get on your knees and say, God, pour out your fire on me. You got to confess what you need. Here's the secret. It's a little cliche-ish, but it works. When you start confessing, God will start blessing. 
because he already knows what you have need of before you ask him. Everybody say, ask him. So now you know the scripture. He knows what you have need of. Say it with me. Before you ask him. So you just got to confess and say, here's what I need. John the Baptist prophesied that Jesus would baptize people with the Holy Ghost and fire. And I believe today we can still experience the fire of the Holy Spirit. I believe we can experience the glory and the power of God. And you don't wait until you feel something to start praying. You pray until you start feeling something. Do you hear me? You don't wait until you feel something. You got to just build the altar and start praying. And as you pray and connect with God and God begins to work in your spirit and you crucify your flesh and you say, Lord, touch me in my heart, touch me in my spirit, God, breathe on me, give me life, Lord, give me a revival, Lord, I want a, a passion and a fire and a hunger for you, God, like I've never had. And what will happen is God will begin to work and what you're wanting, you will get. You pray, and soon you'll feel something. Even if you don't feel spiritual, you pray anyway, and the feeling will come. Pastor Billy, where, come, out, come out wherever you are. I need to wrap this up. I preached one of my first revivals at a church in, in, around the Tampa, Florida area. It's kind of unusual. There's a wonderful man, wonderful man. He owned an orange grove. I think he was a multimillionaire, uh, but he also pastored a church. I can't remember. I think maybe it was like sort of independent church. It was a Pentecostal church, and he knew Dad really well, and we'd go play golf. He knew I was a young preacher just getting started. He said, would you come preach for me at my church? He said, I pastor just a little country church, but he said, would you come? I said, man, yeah, man, when you're, when you're starting out, you'll preach anywhere. You'll preach to chickens. You preach to the cows, pigs, the dogs. You'll preach to anybody. I said, absolutely. So he let me come preach at his church. I preached some fireball sermon that night, I remember, and whatever it was, gave an altar call in this little church, and people in the altars, and they were playing the music like we do, and people were praying. The power of God was moving. I was over, you know, 20 years old. I'm laying hands on people and praying for people. And I come to this guy, and I kid you not, I have seen oak trees with more life than this guy. He, he, they ought, but you look up stoic in the dictionary, his picture should have been there. Everybody else is praying, crying. He's like this. I got to him, I'm all fired up, my 20 year old fired up self, you know. I said, brother, you want to touch from God? He said, I don't even know if he said yes. I didn't care. I slapped him on the head. Lord, touch this man right now. It was like praying for a rock, a boulder. Nothing. I just thought I'd pray a little harder. Lord, just give him a fire. Give him revival right now, Lord, just right now. Touch him, God. Nada. Well, I didn't have time for him, man. There's too many other people I want to pray for to get something. So I left him alone. I said, I ain't got time for you. I just went praying for other people, you know. He just stood over there. Well, the pastor came around. He was praying for people. Everybody's fired up. It's a fired up altar service. He came around. It was his member, see? 
he got a hold of that man by the hand and he started praying. He started praying with fire and passion. He didn't care what that guy did or didn't do. He just kept praying for him. God, give this man a revival. God, breathe on him. Let the rain fall on him, God. Just come on down on him like, like a mighty rushing wind blow into his life, God, right now. Oh, God, do something powerful in this man. He just kept, he wouldn't let up. He just kept praying. He was like a man with a sledgehammer that kept hitting against a concrete wall. And, and, and the longer he prayed, some cracks started forming in that man's concrete wall. I, I, I happened to be praying. I looked over, and I could see him. He was shaking a little bit. There's some, it was low and it was slow, but a little something was happening. I said, uh oh, this ought to be interesting. I'm still praying for it, but I'm watching out of the corner of my eye. And the harder that pastor prayed and the longer he prayed, that man started moving a little bit. He threw his hand up a little bit. He threw the other hand. Next thing you know, that big boy, Mr. Stoic, he took off shouting. I mean, that man had a breakthrough. Now, you don't have to shout to have a breakthrough. I'm just telling you, this man had a breakthrough. He started shouting. He started doing the dip and the duck like we Pentecostals do when the Holy Ghost hits you and you can't hardly take it and the natural meets the supernatural well it was it was God was touching the preacher they were both doing the duck and the dip and I thought my God this is glorious hallelujah here's the point he had to pray a little harder but I'm telling you God gave that man a powerful revival he got a breakthrough because his pastor said I'm building an altar right here and we're not going to let go until God gives you your breakthrough Charles Spurgeon was this great preacher in England, London, England. He had a mega church when mega churches didn't even exist. Back, what, 1800, something like that? Is that unbelievable preacher? Guys still read his sermons today, published sermons. Three men who were young ministers heard about Charles Spurgeon and decided to go to his church. This is a true story. They got there early for the night service. Nobody was there yet. They wanted to get a good seat. They wanted to be right on the front row to hear Charles Spurgeon. So they're just there milling around waiting and a man happened to walk through the door and he said, can I help you? They said, oh, well, we're okay. They said, we're here to hear Charles Spurgeon preach tonight. We're three young ministers and we we're just here. We want to be part of the service. He said, okay, that's wonderful. He said, by the way, since you've got a little time, can I do something? They said, well, I guess what? He said, can I show you the, the furnace of our church? Now, that's a kind of a weird thing to say to visitors, isn't it? I could see John T. getting guests at our church saying, y'all want to go out back and see the air-conditioned units? They're pretty big. That's kind of the same thing. The three guys looked at each other like, okay. He said, come on. You need to see this. And they thought, okay. So they followed this gentleman downstairs in that big church in London, England. And they get to a door. And he said, boys, behind this door is the furnace of our church. And he opened the door and he moved out of the way. And those three men poked their head in. And there were hundreds of people in this massive room on their knees crying out to God in prayer for the service that night. And those men looked at him and he said, men, 
That's the furnace of our church. This is where the fire falls. If you want to wonder what and wonder how things do the way they do around here in this church, it's because these people are building an altar and they're on their knees praying. That's why God does what he does upstairs in the sanctuary because of what's happening down here where the fire falls. And the longer they talked to him, eventually they found out it was none other than Charles Spurgeon himself who had taken them down to show them the furnace of the church. I'm telling you high praises. I feel the Holy Ghost on me right now. I feel like I could walk on air. I love you and I love this church, but I want the fire to fall. I want the Holy Ghost to fall and I don't want to lean upon four or five or six or ten or twelve people praying to carry this church. But I'm challenging, my God, stand up in this house. I'm challenging everybody in this church to be part of the furnace of the church. I'm challenging every one of you, be that person, that man, that woman of God who builds an altar every day and prays and cries out to God, not just for the things in your life, but for this church that you love and for the ministry that you love and for this county and for their city and the towns that you live in and for a revival. I believe if we just rebuild the altar, God would do something powerful in your life, in my life, in our church. We'd see more people saved and more lives touched than ever before if we just rebuild the altar. Come on, lift your hands all over this house and let's respond to the Spirit of God right now and just praise Him and worship Him in this house. Hallelujah. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us Sunday mornings. Our service times are 9 o'clock and 1045. For more information, please visit us at highpraises.org.